The following program is brought to you by Caltech. Uh, welcome to the third presentation of today's short course. I'm Jeff Shapiro from MIT. I'm the external co-lead, not California co-lead, I suppose. <laughs> and it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Dr. Vittorio Giovanetti, who is our speaker for the third slot. Uh, Vittorio earned his undergraduate degree in physics from the University of Pisa, and then his PhD from the University of Camerino, where he did a thesis under the supervision of uh, Paolo Tambesi. After that, he came to MIT as a postdoctoral associate, worked with Seth Lloyd, with Franco Wong. Franco was here at, at the workshop and with me very productively, and then returned to Italy to join the faculty at Scuola Normale Superiore in Pisa, uh, where he's uh, now an associate professor. He has worked on a wide variety of things in quantum information, quantum communication, quantum optics, and uh, is now moving some into solid state physics in this, in this area, and is especially great to have at this workshop because we have both communication and metrology as key topics for us, and imaging is also something that he's done some work on. So he's not going to talk about all of that today. Uh, he's going to focus on the quantum metrology. Victoria? <clears throat> So thank you very much, Jeff, for the nice presentation, and thank for the organizer for giving me the opportunity to be at this uh, nice workshop. Very interesting, very challenging. So uh, today I, I will have the pleasure to introduce you the, no, the, the, the topic of quantum measurement. And uh, when first Jeff and Baris proposed me to, to pre prepare a lecture on, on this topic, I was kind of uh, puzzle because, I mean, quantum measurement, measurement by uh, it, it's, uh, it's a kind of complex and uh, vast uh, uh, research area. So uh, the way I see it, there are at least four different uh, possible approaches that you can follow in order to address the problem of quantum measurement. So first of all, there is a kind of conceptual uh, aspect associated with the notion of quantum measurement. And this has to do with the, the foundation of quantum mechanics. Indeed, quantum measurement have a very special role in the foundation of the theory, and uh, which has been long debated, and uh, which is still debated today. Then there is a more practical, let's say, uh, theoretical aspect of the problem, which is associated with the mathematical formalization of what a quantum measurement is. Uh, third, of course, there is also a practical, or if you like, a technological aspect that needs to be discussed when we talk about quantum measurement. And uh, this has to do with the, 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 pos the real uh, possibilities that we have in, to implement these uh, uh, transformation, this, this operation on the quantum system. And uh, of course, uh, talking about this uh, involves, indeed, uh, uh, requires us to, to, to deal with the problem associated with the technological limitation that we are facing nowadays and with the, uh, the resources that are available in order to implement some of those transformation. And at least on this specific aspect, we have already seen some interesting observations 
from uh, the, the previous talk. And finally, there is uh, a fourth way to quantum measurement, which is associated with uh, applications, what I call applications. And uh, for me, applications means simply uh, studying how these, uh, uh, these processes can be used in order to produce something that couldn't be done without the use of quantum measurement themselves. Now, in my presentation, uh, I decided not to focus on the conceptual aspect of, of the problem because they are kind of abstract and uh, don't really fit in the, in the, I mean, with the spirit of the workshop. And I will not discuss so much about practical uh, aspect associated with the, with, the, with the quantum measurement, mostly because I'm a theoretician and uh, I don't feel very comfortable to enter in this, <laughs> in this field, to be honest. On the other hand, I will discuss, uh, so I organize my, my presentation mostly focusing on the mathematical formalization of what a quantum measurement is and on the ap uh, application part. So basically the first part of, uh, of the lecture will be focused on the mathematical aspect and for the expert of the field, probably this part will be kind of uh, uh, naive in a way. And, um, uh, and the second part instead will deal with the, uh, what we can do uh, once we have established what a quantum measurement uh, is. So here I, I try to, <coughs> to give you uh, a definition of uh, what we, we uh, at least uh, uh, what can be considered what a quantum measurement uh, in the hand is. So a quantum measurement is any process which allows us to acquire information, or I should say better, classical information, uh, on the state of a quantum system. Now, uh, here I put emphasis on three of these words, process, meaning that indeed uh, the quantum measurement is something that uh, involves the uh, evolution, the interaction with the system, okay? So it's a physical process. And the second, I have also put emphasis on this, uh, on the notion of information, or to say it better, classical information. So for what concern the following, I will use a very pragmatical point of view. For me, information is just the ability of discriminating among different alternatives, okay? I don't want to be precise when I give this definition, but I think that you will accept this kind of, uh, 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 definition I'm presenting to you. And finally, uh, I have here underlined the word state because states uh, is, what is, is, is exactly what we want to characterize for a quantum system. And uh, for me, a state is just the present condition of a system. So uh, is what, uh, in a sense, describe uh, the, con the, the, the condition of a quantum system at a given moment of time. Okay, so uh, in order to define quantum measurement, uh, it is then mandatory to, to spend a few words on what, uh, uh, on, sorry, on how we describe state of a quantum system in quantum mechanics. So let me review a little bit this notion. So, 
as you probably know, in quantum mechanics, we describe uh, the state of a system by the, uh, introducing a Hilbert space. Okay, Hilbert space is just a vector space uh, with a given dimension, which depends upon the property of the system we are describing. And the physical state of, 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 of our system are just vector in this, uh, uh, um, on this space. In particular, this, this vector has to be chosen uh, normalized for reason that we'll see in a moment. Now, and uh, uh, the state vector that we are considering here, in a way, describe the physical state uh, of the system under consideration. So it is important to, to stress that the state vector by itself is not a physical quantity or something that we can measure somehow. On the other hand, it is uh, more a mathematical or abstract object which uh, allows us to provide a characterization, a precise characterization of, this, of, of the system state. And uh, as I was anticipating, it contains all we can say about the state itself. Now, in particular, the information which is contained in the state vector uh, has a, a, uh, it, uh, the information that, that is written in Psi uh, as a, a double nature. First of all, the information is a kind of constructive information. That is, uh, the vector state itself contains in a very compact and uh, abstract way what all uh, we need in order to prepare the state under consideration. So it's a kind of uh, receipt, receipt. And that's why I'm represent, I, I put here the, the picture of, of a chef. Now the chef can read the receipt, receipt and can prepare the object, uh, the, 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 the dish which is associated. The other, the other information which is contained into the state vector is uh, instead an information that allows you to predict whatever can be said about the state of the system in, uh, the, the system in that specific, specific state. And that's why I'm using here the image of a, of a wizard, you know? which allows you from the, the vector psi to predict the outcome of any possible measurement you can perform on the system. As we'll see, uh, indeed, it cannot allow you to predict uh, exactly the outcome of the measurement, but just the statistical aspect which are associated with the, with the measurement themselves. So just to, 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 to give you a, a very simple example of what uh, a representation of a quantum state is, uh, I, I'm using here the, the case of a, of a qubit. Huh? A qubit is, uh, is the simplest quantum uh, system we can think of, and uh, it, is, it consists in two, uh, say, uh, states, reference states. We call it canonical base, uh, vector of the canonical basis, the state one and the state zero. They are orthogonal, so in a sense, they represent sort of distinguishable configuration of your system. But of course, due to the superposition principle, all the, all the state of your qubit will be represented by linear combination of all these two, uh, two vectors uh, with alpha and beta uh, complex coefficients which uh, satisfy the normalization condition that I, I wrote here. So example of uh, qubits 
for instance, can be obtained by considering two-level atoms, okay? That is an atom which is isolated from uh, the rest of, 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 the, of the environment and uh, for which is allowed only to interact with the radiation that couples the ground state with the first excited state, for instance. Or another example that, uh, of a qubit can be, can be, is provided by a polarized single photon. So this is just a single photon which can be prepared either in the horizontal or in the vertical polarization. Okay? And all these, these, these objects uh, represent in a, um, say, give us a representation of a qubit. Okay, now, as a matter of fact, uh, state vectors are not the only way, is not the unique way that we can, uh, uh, in which we can uh, describe a quantum system, the state of a quantum system. We did, uh, we can, um, and indeed it is useful to introduce the notion of density operator in order to characterize those situations in which the instructions that determine the condition of the system uh, at this moment are kind of fuzzy. So the situation in which uh, you don't have a very clear understanding of what is the state preparation process that allows you to bring, to prepare that given configuration that we are considering. And, there's, and this kind of, uh, of situation basically, um, uh, it means basically that in these specific uh, conditions, uh, the state of your system is described by an ensemble of possibility. So the, st the state could be, say, in the, in, in, in the, can be described by the vector psi 1 with probability pi 1, uh, or psi 2 with probability pi 2, and so on and so forth. In order to represent this kind of situation in quantum mechanics, we introduce the notion of density operator, which is just an operator which acts on the Hilbert space of the system, which has the property of being positive semi-definite, and to have trace one. Now, I want to spend a few, a little bit more words on, on density operators, just to remind you that um, um, for each density operator, it is possible, always possible to associate an ensemble of possibility. And of course, for uh, a, any ensemble, we can define the associated density operator. But the, the, the important things that one has to, to remind is that different ensembles can lead to the same uh, density matrix. So since the density matrix is what really represents uh, everything that can be said about the statistical mixture that we are characterizing, here we have a situation in which uh, uh, some of the, say, classical information that lead to uh, the introduction of the density matrix disappear in the quantum representation. So there can be situation in which different ensembles correspond to the same density matrix. And since everything we can say about the ensembles are written in the density matrix, it means, it means that we, there is part of the information that cannot be retrieved by just uh, measuring the density matrix itself. Now, I want also to remind you that the density matrix uh, uh, as an operator satisfies this, this, uh, this, uh, this inequality. Uh, this object here is just the purity of the density matrix and it is always smaller than one. 
and can all, uh, and can be all, uh, uh, take value one only if the state itself correspond to an ensemble which was uh, uh, indeed a trivial, a trivial ensemble, that is a pure state. So there were no uncertainty in the preparation of the state itself. Uh, another important property of the set of density metrics is that this set is a convex. That is, if you take convex combination of density matrices, you will again find uh, a new object which is also a state of the system and which can be represented by the density matrix itself. Now, finally, I need to spend a uh, uh, few words on, uh, on the fact that density metrics not only arise in the theory as a way of representing um, uh, ensembles, but also uh, enters into the discussion when we consider the physics of uh, composite systems. So suppose that we have a composite system, say a system in which we have a subsystem A, a subsystem B. This object, the state of this object, the pure state of this object will be, rep will be represented by vectors. And now I can, in this, in this condition, I can uh, try to determine what is the density matrix associated with the, what is the best description that I can give for the subsystem A or to the subsystem B. In this case, uh, this is done by uh, computing what we, we call the partial trace of the, of the joint system with respect to the degree of freedom of the other, of the other system. What remains is again uh, a density matrix, um, which represents the, prop the local property of your system, say on A, or the local property of the system on B. Now, uh, and now that uh, I, I should also say that uh, in the, uh, once we have composite system, we can uh, describe the physics of uh, the joint state of, of, of the system uh, in terms of factorizable configuration. A factorizable configuration will be just a configuration in which both the state, uh, say the, the, the global density matrix of the system is given by the tensor product of the two, and we can define separable configuration. These are just the convex combination of the factorizable states. And finally, we can have states which are not separable uh, in the sense that can do, cannot be expressed in this form, and these objects are just associated with the notion of entangled states. Okay, so... Um, um, we have seen that starting from a pure state of the system, of the, of a joint, uh, of, of, of the joints uh, system AB, we can define a density matrix by just taking the trace with respect to B, and this will define the local property of the system A. As a matter of fact, these, these procedures that allows you to represent, to uh, extract, say, a density matrix from a pure state of an enlarged system can be reversed through what is known uh, the purification process. This is, uh, uh, in other words, given a local state which is represented by a mixture of A, we can always construct a vector, a pure vector of the joint system which uh, describe uh, globally the system like, uh, like in this expression, but which locally correspond to, to the pure state. <clears throat> okay. So, now, this was just kind of introduction uh, to remind some of the basic facts 
about uh, state uh, and how do we represent them in uh, quantum mechanics. Now let's go to the measurement and um, let's try to analyze uh, how we can formalize the notion of a measurement in the quantum system. Now the first things that one has to remember is that in quantum mechanics measurements are always uh, probabilistic processes. That means that uh, we can only assign given the state of the system that we are measuring and given the uh, a specific uh, um, measuring setup <coughs> uh, we can only define the conditional probability of getting certain outcome given the state that we are measuring. So in other words the theory has to allow us to, def to define this conditional, con conditional probability. And um, <clears throat> this is exactly what we are going to see in a moment. So the first, the simplest example of, of, a, measure, of a measurement that you can define in quantum mechanics are the so-called projective of or von Neumann measurements. Now, uh, these measurements are defined, um, first of all, are the simplest and uh, uh, in a sense the most fundamental form of quantum measurement that you can have. Now, a projective measurement uh, is associated with uh, a collection of orthonormal vectors uh, of your system. So let's say an orthonormal basis. And basically what a projective measurement does is trying to identify the state that is under consideration, this vector psi, as one of the element of the orthonormal basis that we are given. And uh, it is important to stress this try because uh, psi itself is not guaranteed to be one of the vector of the basis. And still the measurement will try to determine which is the most close, say, uh, which among the vector basis that we are considering is the closest to, to psi, in a sense. Of course, the result of this kind of measurement will be probabilistic, probabilistic and uh, the probability associated with the, the outcome of a measurement of this form is of course given by the so-called Born rule, which I wrote here, okay? Which just consists in taking the scalar product with the, between the, uh, the element of the basis that we are considering with the vector that we are considering here, okay? Or in the cases of in which the initial state of your system is a density matrix, the Born rule simply write in this form, okay? So now, an, an example, the simplest example of, of a projective measurement that I can provide is, uh, is, uh, is, is this one, for instance. Let's consider again the case of a qubit in which uh, the canonical bases are represented by the polarization of a single photon, which is propagating along, say, an optical fiber or a waveguide or something. And uh, if we put a polarizing beam splitter along the way of the photons, this, uh, this, this object uh, will split the two components of the polarization, uh, sending one to one detector and the second to, the, to uh, a second detector. Therefore, if, we now, if you now measure, uh, if here you put a photo detector that detects <coughs> if a photon is arriving, what you are indeed performing in this kind of setup is a projective measurement, which is checking whether or not your initial state was prepared in the vertical or horizontal polarization. 
And this is just uh, the simplest example that you can think of uh, projective measurement. And uh, okay, so uh, it is important to, to remark that projective measurement can be described also by assigning a collection of uh, um, orthogonal, orthogonal projectors uh, that I wrote here. So in, in a way that you can rewrite the Born rule as the trace uh, of the state of the system rho with respect to the specific projector associated with the given income. So basically when you do this kind of uh, representation is like if you were dividing your Hilbert space in, in slides and you are simply uh, projecting the, sta uh, the, the state of your system with respect to the slide that you have so generated. Now, of course, projective measurement can also be associated with the notion of observable. I will not spend too much on these topics. And the connection between observable and projective measurement is simply associated with the fact that in quantum mechanics, observable, so that is observable quantities, um, are represented by uh, operators which are Hermitian. Therefore, they emit a spectral decomposition in terms of an orthonormal basis and uh, with associated real eigenvalues. So we, with the operator theta, we can associate the, the projective measurement with respect to its orthonormal state. And uh, we can use the um, eigenvalues, or the corresponding eigenvalues, as labels for labeling the various outcome of the measurement. So let, let, let me... Um, of, um, um, of, uh, see, so uh, now that you have, uh, um, once you have an observable, you can also define what is called the expectation value of the observable, which means, which is simply the average value of the label that you will measure when detecting the state row. Okay, or you can even measure the, uh, the deviation, the standard deviation of the measurement itself. Um, okay, so but let's move. Let's move on. Uh, now, uh, now, projective measurements are not the only measurement that you can perform in a, in a quantum system. So, for instance, there are other experimental configurations which doesn't fit within the representation of a projective measurement. And the typical example is a, is a, is a, is a scattering measurement. So, in a scattering process, what, what you do this is a picture that I took from the internet. It just represents the classical Rutherford experiment. Here, the system of interest is, uh, is, uh, is a gold foil. And what you do, you want to reconstruct, say, the structural, structural properties of this object. What you do, you prepare a probe in some initial state. These are, in, in this specific case, these are alpha particles. You emit this particle that interact with your system S, and then you detect the, the, the probe after it has interacted with the system. Now, we can formalize this kind of, uh, of, of measurement in the, in the following way. So basically here, what we are doing is the following. We have the system S in its initial state row, and we have an ancillary system, the probe A, which is also initializing uh, uh, which is in some initial state sigma that probably we know uh, to some extent. And now what we do, we let A and S interact uh, through some process. 
And uh, this will create a new state of the system, a composite say, uh, state of the system S and A, which no longer will be representable in terms of uh, a tensor product between S and A. And then we measure uh, the, 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 the ancillary system, okay? Now, it turns out that this kind of process uh, induce a measurement on S which is qualitatively different from, uh, from the naive direct measurement that we were considering before, the projective one. Now, this, of course, uh, is not the only possibility that we have. A second possibility of, of measurement is this one. So here we have a signal, for instance, a, a light pulse, which is propagating, and uh, we are shining it to a detector, say a photodetector. But before impinging into the detector, if uh, part of the signal has been deflected and is lost, and, may, and, um, and maybe it is uh, mixed with uh, uh, the, uh, an external signal which comes from the environment or from another system in, in, uh, in the laboratory. Now, this kind of procedures uh, is similar to the previous one, but it represents what you may call a noisy detection scheme, in which not all the information that was stored in the state row is now available to you because it has been mixed up with the, the state of an external environment. In this case, um, the, 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 the situation is basically the, the, the similar to the one that we had before. The main difference being that now the state sigma of the ancilla is not, is probably not uh, prepared, uh, has not been prepared from, from the experimentalist, but is given by the environment. And the measurement is now performed on the system has. Okay, so this is what I call scenario two or noisy detection. And finally, we can have um, a third possible configuration, which is uh, the one that I, that I have depicted here. Now, again, we start with the system has, with an ancilla A prepared in the, in, in, the, in the state sigma. We let them interact, and what we do is measuring, performing a projective measurement on both the system has and the system A, okay? Now, this kind of uh, operation, I call it join detection, and it is what happens, for instance, when you implement homodyne detection. In homodyne detection, what you do, you have your signal, you, pre you prepare a local oscillator, the uh, Mayan Silla, and let them interact at a beam splitter. And then what you do, you measure both the output, okay, and you collect data from both the, the, the systems. So these three uh, different uh, uh, schemes, uh, uh, the way I have introduced them, uh, they look pretty different from each other, okay? Here you measure the system, the ancilla, here you measure the system S in the presence of a noise. Here you measure both the system and the ancilla after they have interacted. As a matter of fact, from the formal point of view, it turns out that all these procedures are kind of equivalent in the sense that I can, by properly redefine the state of the ancilla and the interaction that they are experiencing, I, I can map each one of these three configurations uh, in, into each other, okay? I'm talking about uh, uh, mathematical, uh, mathematical equivalence. Of course, from the physical point of view, the, the process which are involved are, 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 are rather different. 
And all of them uh, can, uh, admit a representation in the theory which goes under the name of P of EM. Okay? So we can represent all this measurement process as with a unique object, which is a P of EM. Uh, so a P of EM is an acronym which stands for positive operator valued measurement. And, uh, and simply says that uh, for those specific uh, uh, kind of measurement that we were considering before, uh, we can describe the statistics of the outcomes by assigning a collection of positive semi-definite operators, EJ, which take the role of the projections that we had for projective measurement. And these operators have only to fulfill a normalization condition which is given here. So the sum of all the possible P of M element of the P of M need to be equal to one. And for each outcome, I have a specific uh, uh, operator which describes the statistics associated with that specific measurement. In a way, uh, it's like, you know, I have, uh, uh, so this is just a pictorial representation of a P of M. If before for projective measurement, we had a very sharp division of the Hilbert space into uh, mutually orthogonal subset, the P of M is like uh, dividing your Hilbert space into subsection, sub, uh, in, uh, sub, uh, subset, which are not really not overlapping any longer. Okay, and so this is because P of M accounts also for those processes which, in which you perform a measurement in presence of noise, and so these differences are blurred out. Out, of course, uh, projective measurements are just a specific instance of P of M. Um, Okay, and then there is an important fact which is associated with the fact that all P of EM can always be described in terms of a projective measurement uh, by introducing an ancilla, coupling the ancilla with the system, and performing a measurement on the composite system. So this is basically what we already have seen at the beginning. We started from a representation of this form, and from that we defined the P of EM. Here I'm saying that once you have defined a collection of operators of this form, which describe a proper measurement for the system. You can always uh, introduce, represent this measurement as an interaction with an ancilla plus a projective measurement which follows. Okay, and this uh, representation is called Neymark extension. It has to do with the purification procedure that we have seen when we were discussing the density matrix. Okay, so a natural question is uh, how many different types of measurement do exist then for my quantum system? Now, in principle, there are infinite, infinitely many uh, of them. And uh, indeed, already by when we were considering projective measurement, we have infinite many projective measurement that we can perform of a quantum system. And uh, the set of possible measurements that can be performed on a system uh, they form a convex manifold. Uh, that is, if you take convex combination of two POVM, you, you obtain again a new POVM, which is a sort of uh, mixture of two different uh, measurement setups uh, uh, in which, I mean, you mix the statistics of the associated outcome. But of course, this is just at, you know, at, at the theory level. Then in practice, 
there will be only few of these measurements that could be uh, indeed uh, be realized and uh, which are indeed useful to extract information from the system. And, um, and the problem is exactly how to identify those which are useful and in particular then there is the challenge on finding way of implementing them in realistic systems. So with this I will uh, now go to the second part of my, of my talk uh, which, um, which has to do with the application. How do we use quantum measurement in order to perform specific tasks uh, uh, and uh, for what concerns me I will focus on quantum information task in particular. So now here I put what I call application, application zero because this is really not an application, it basically comes from the definition itself of observable. So but as a first application uh, you can try to, the, to use a, a, a measurement in order to determine the expectation value of a given observable. So what you want to do is compute this quantity here, uh, your state rho, you want to know exactly what is the expectation value of, uh, of that specific observable. Now the way you, uh, you, you can determine this quantity is uh, there is a naive way of doing it which simply means okay you take n copies of your system, you, you have to reprepare your system exactly in the same state and on each of them uh, you perform the associated projective measurement which is uh, uh, related to the observable that you are considering. Of course, every time you will get a new uh, um, a possible outcome, which uh, not, necessarily, not necessarily is the same. And then what you do, you just take the average of all these measurements to compute what I call the estimation. The estimation is just the average over the n measurement that you have performed. And by simply invoking the um, uh, law of large number, we know that this quantity will converge in the large and limit to the error to the expectation value uh, uh, of the observable that we are interested in. And the convergency uh, can be estimated by noticing that uh, this limit here in terms of the variance, the distance between the estimation and the real value goes down like one over square root of n. Now this is very simple and it's indeed is just another way of uh, presenting uh, uh, projective measurement as uh, associated with observable but you can ask now is there any way that in which I can try to improve with respect to this naive procedure the accuracy with which I can obtain the expectation value of my observable by measuring n system and it turns so here the idea would be okay I prepare my n copies and now instead of measuring each one of them separately I allow myself to perform any possible joint measurement on the hand copies and maybe I can also attach some ancillary system coupling the ancillary system with the state and the question is uh, can I improve with respect to this result and in this case the answer is no so there is no way I can do better uh, of what I have already gained by this simple uh, procedure. So that's why I present this 
as application zero because indeed there is nothing you can gain by using joint measurement in this case. But I want to just to, to enter into the discussion. Now, uh, application one, so uh, something which is a little bit more tricky and, uh, and more interesting is uh, what is, it goes under the name of state tomography. So in state tomography, you basically try to reconstruct the state. So we know that uh, the wave vector of a system represent, uh, provides you all the information that are needed to build a copy of the system itself. We have seen this a uh, few slides ago. Now the idea is the following. Suppose they give you uh, the state itself prepared in that specific uh, um, state uh, represented by the vector psi, and I'm asking you to uh, recover the instructions that allows you to create the state itself. Now, it, it turns out that this, this, this simple procedure is impossible, at least uh, cannot be performed with absolute, uh, with absolute precision, if you have just a single copy of your system. And this goes under the name of the no-cloning theorem of quantum mechanics, which prevents you to reconstruct the vector from a single copy of, of, the, of the state itself. But of course, you can, if you can, if you have at your disposal several copies of your initial state, then indeed you can reconstruct uh, the, 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 the quantum representation of the, st of the state. And this is uh, exactly what you do when you perform tomography. Here I'm introducing you a simple example of state tomography for the case of a qubit. Now for a qubit, we have seen the state are just subconvex uh, combination of the state zero and the state one. More generally, if you have a density matrix, the state will be represented by a point in, uh, in the block uh, sphere, written in this form, where sigma are just the Pauli operators. R is the real vectors, which has, which has norm smaller than one. And in order to reconstruct this mathematical expression, what you need really is just determine these three real parameters that represent the, the radius r. And you can do that, for instance, splitting, uh, for is, uh, in order to, 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 to perform this kind of reconstruction, you need three different set of measurement. Huh? So the first set of measurement, for instance, would be projective measurement with respect to the canonical basis zero and one. So you get, you, you take a bunch of copies of this, of the system, and on each of them you measure, uh, uh, perform a projective measurement with respect to this value. And taking the average of the outcome, you, in the asymptotic limit of n, which goes to infinity, you, you can recover R3 with an accuracy which scales with uh, one over square root of n. And uh, similarly, you do for the component R1 of the vector. In this case, the projective measurement will be performed on a different basis, uh, in particular the basis plus and minus that I, write, he, I wrote here. And finally, you do the same for R2 projecting on a third uh, uh, basis for the qubit, which is, uh, um, which is, which is the one I, I presented here. So by performing this, this kind of procedure, you can indeed reconstruct the state of the system. Now, the same things can be done uh, for, for more complex systems, like for instance, uh, the state of a single optical mode or the state of an harmonic oscillator. 
this guy is uh, an infinite dimensional system, quantum system. So you have an infinite uh, number of uh, levels uh, that the system can have. And um, so the number of degree of freedom that are required to, to reconstruct this object uh, are basically infinite, uh, not even countable. And, um, and so in, in this representation, uh, for this system, uh, uh, th these states can be represented in the phase space as quasi-distribution, the Wigner quasi-distribution, and uh, a reconstruction of the state will correspond in, uh, in, re in providing a, a, a reconstruction of this Wigner distribution. And this, uh, this can be done, I will not enter into the details, but performing, so what you need to do, you need basically to measure uh, these kind of observable, which are called field quadrature, which are a generalization of the position and momentum of the harmonic oscillator which represents your system. Um, uh, and uh, and uh, you have to measure all this quantity for different value of phi. Phi is the relative phase that you have put in here. And in principle, you need infinite many of those. Uh, you have to perform all this, all this measurement for all possible value of phi. And you can do that, for instance, by simply uh, a, using homodyne detection, which is one of the detection schemes that I have introduced before. So you take your signal, you, you couple in a with a beam splitter with a lot intense local oscillator, uh, fixing a, a, a phase match, mismatch between the two, which is phi, and then you, you perform photo counting at the output of the two poles. By processing all this data, you can indeed reconstruct the system, uh, the state of the system. And of course, also here you need infinite uh, uh, a certain number of, of copies of your states and the more you have a more accurate will be the reconstruction of the system. Now along the same way you can also uh, try to perform what is called the, the tomography of a process, of a quantum process. Before we were trying to reconstruct the description of a state, here what we want to do we want to reconstruct, reconstruct the description of a quantum transformation of the system. That is, uh, say, the reconstruction of a dynamical uh, evolution that has uh, taken place into the system has. So here the goal is to determine this object here, which is the map which describes the, the, the evolution of, of, of your system. And I will not enter into the details on how we characterize these objects in quantum mechanics, uh, it is important to say that these are just uh, linear, ch linear maps in this, on the space of the density matrix of your system. Now, in order to reconstruct the, 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 the action of the, of the channel, of the, of the transformation, what you can do, you have two options. The first option is a kind of trivial option. That means uh, you, you could prepare different copies of... Um, uh, different initial input state, send this state through the transformation, apply the transformation to the, to, the, to the state itself, obtaining what is the output state, and now you do uh, tomography reconstruction of the output state. Knowing the input state, you can determine the action of, this, of, the, of the channel uh, with respect to that specific uh, state there. And of course, in order to 
have a complete representation of the channel of the transformation, you need uh, to perform this operation for a certain number of initial state. It turns out that due to the fact that the, the, the channel is linear, you need just a finite number of possible selected input in order to reconstruct the action of the map. Um, finite if the, the dimension of the system is finite dimensional, of course. This, this, this number depends on the dimension. But there is a more uh, uh, elegant way of reconstructing the action of the channel of the transformation, which exploit what is called the Choi-Jamulkowski isomorphism. Now, um, basically, it consists in applying the action of the map uh, not on a single state of, of your system, but on half of an entangle, maximally entangled state that you have prepared in your lab. So what you do, you prepare your system S in an entangled configuration with an external ancilla, and then you apply the channel to half of this maximal entangled state. And then what you do is, is just state tomography on the resulting output, and this can be shown to be equivalent uh, to perform uh, you know, the, the, the previous uh, uh, procedure. The advantage here is the fact that you need just a single state. Of course, the single state that you need is a maximally entangled state. And so this could be challenging in some application. Okay, now uh, let's move on to another possible application of quantum measurement. And this application is state discrimination. So state dis discrimination is, uh, is similar, somehow similar to state homography, but with a caveat. Now the idea is the following. Suppose that somebody gives you uh, a collection of possible states, row one, row n. Okay, so these are n possible states. And, uh, and, um, and you are given a, a single copy of the system S, which I called row question mark. And, with, uh, and you are guaranteed that this state, that you don't know exactly which state is, is one of the states that define the, the original collection. And now you are asked to determine which one of these possible, uh, 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 of this possibility, indeed correspond to the state that, uh, that is given to you. Okay? So, uh, so the caveat is that you have just a single copy of the system, so you cannot do state tomography, but you are guaranteed that rho question mark is one of these n states. And the goal is to find a way of determining which one of these state is, or at least find the procedures that allows you to minimize the error probability in, in making this choice. Now, I will focus on the simplest configuration, in, uh, on, on the simplest configuration of all, which is the, the case in which you have just two possibility. You have to determine if this guy here is row one or row two. Now, and uh, you have to determine which is the best POVM that allows you, which is the best measurement that allows you to resolve this discrimination problem. And it turns out that this, this, this analysis, this problem can be exactly solved, and uh, the, 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 error, the minimal error probability that can be obtained by performing, that you can obtain, uh, obtain 
in uh, solving this discrimination problem is given by this expression here, which is one minus the, uh, the trace norm of the difference between the state row one and row two divided by two, and then dividing everything by two again. So the trace norm here is defined in this expression and simply define what is known as the trace distance between the quantum state row one and the quantum state row two. Now, interesting enough, the measurement which minimized, uh, which allows you to achieve this minimal error probability, the error probability is simply, you know, the, pro the average error probability of getting the wrong state when you are asked to determine which one is. And uh, the, I, I was saying the optimal uh, uh, POVM is just a projective measurement which project uh, onto uh, the uh, support, sorry, on the positive part of the difference between row one minus row two of that operator there. Okay. Now, uh, the same, uh, of course, the problem can be a little bit more complicated and maybe you want to study a situation in which instead of having just a single copy of the, of the state row, question mark, you have, say, n of them. Of course, if this number of copies is infinite, uh, I'm sure that I will be able to solve the discrimination problem exactly simply by doing uh, state tomography on, on the state I'm given. But if the number of copies is limited, again, there will be some finite error probability that we need to determine. And this finite num uh, error probability can be computed as in the previous case, it's just given, uh, is, is exactly uh, as in the previous case, where now instead of taking the trace norm between the difference of row one and row two, is you just take the trace norm of the difference of row one tensor to the n and so on and so forth. So it's the distance between the n copies that you are given, uh, of the st uh, between the n copies of the two possibilities that you have to discriminate. Now, uh, it is interesting to, 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 to see how this error probability goes to zero as the number of copies decreases. And this is known to go exponentially with the number of copies. And the exponent that, you know, determine the, the, how this probability nullify uh, for n, for large n is given by the quantum Chernoff bound, which is the quantity that I have defined in here. And which is a function, of course, of the data of the problem, row one and row two. Now, uh, again, remaining within the context of discrimination, you can also uh, uh, try to uh, uh, discriminate between, uh, instead of discriminating between state, you may be asked to discriminate between operations, transformation. That is, uh, you are given a quantum channel, a quantum transformation, under the, uh, and you are guaranteed that this transformation is either psi one or either psi two. Okay, but you don't know exactly which one it is. And you are asked to determine, uh, to, to, to answer the question. And again, as in the, the, the state tomography, in the, uh, in the case of process tomography, you, uh, you, you again have two possibilities. Either you, you, you just uh, uh, choose, so sorry, since you have a single copy of the channel, now um, what you have to do you have to find the, the optimal single input that you can send through the channel and the optimal uh, POVM 
uh, that can be used in order to discriminate between the two possible outcomes that you can obtain. But of course, you can also try to solve the problem the same way uh, we did uh, when we were studying process tomography. You remember uh, option two, which means that instead of preparing the C, uh, uh, an optimal state of your system S, you may be try to prepare an, an entangled state of your system S plus an ancilla, and then you apply the transformation to half of it, and then you do discrimination on the, on the output. And this, of course, is the best strategy <coughs> because you are now using the, the choi jamulkowski isomorphism. And I want to just to spend uh, uh, one minute to mention that this problem was used by, by, uh, by Jeff and other people that are here in the audience, myself included, in order to, um, to solve what we call the quantum illumination problem. So a quantum illumination, uh, the goal is you have a target, and you want, so you want to determine um, if the, a, a given target is present or, 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 or no. This target is just an object which uh, can receive some light and reflect it back to a detector, maybe mixing it with some background noise, okay? And now you are asked to determine between these two configurations, the configuration in which uh, the, the target is present or the configuration in which the target is not present, in which case you just, on the, on, on the detector, you just receive, you know, uh, background noise. And um, it turns out that, of course, the, 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 the procedures which, is, uh, which allows you to achieve the best performance once you fix, say, the average number of photons that you are sending through the target, the number of modes which are impinging into the target, and so on and so forth, is, the, is uh, by using a, an entangled source. So for instance, a source that could be generated by parametric down conversion, and in this case, you just split the two signal in two, you send half of it to the target, receiving the signal back, and then you process what comes out from uh, this reflection, together with the, the reference beam which was produced by the parametric down conversion. And if you do that, you can estimate that the error probability that you can gain is much better than any classical procedure that you could think uh, in this specific configuration. Where for classical procedure in this specific implementation, we consider you know, classical uh, light uh, state would have uh, uh, optical light which has a classical representation. So now, as a final, um, I have uh, uh, two more applications I want to briefly discuss. The first one is quantum communication. So quantum communication um, is basically, again, a, a sort of discrimination problem uh, in which uh, now you have two parties, Helis and Bob, we are, which are trying to exchange classical signals by uh, by sending pulses, uh, see, uh, quantum state through the channel. And now the way the protocol goes is the, is the following. Alice will select some uh, code words, quantum code words, um, writing a classical signal into the state of, of, of the system which is sent to the channel, send it through the channel, and Bob will have to determine which one of the rho j, which correspond to one of the possible classical signal that Ellis wanted to transmit, he has received. So in the end, um, it's a, 
indeed a, a, a state discrimination problem, where now, however, you can optimize with respect to all possible encoding um, procedure. And of course, uh, uh, you, uh, in order to, uh, but uh, there is also an, another difference, which is associated with the fact that now here, you are allowed to use many uh, parallel uses of the channel. So uh, Alice and Bob, the, the two guys that are trying to communicate, can, can do this game by using multiple pulses. Uh, and uh, they can, uh, and, and, and then the optimization has to be performed with this, uh, uh, over these, you know, repetitive uh, uh, multiple uh, channel uses, in a sense. Now, in this configuration, uh, there are few uh, strategies that could be considered as relevant. So, for instance, there is a naive one in which simply Helis prepare his code words as, say, a state of the single input of each channel. And Bob is detecting each one of the state he receives independently and then does some classical data processing in order to determine which was the code words that Bob, that Alice wanted to send to him. And if you do, if you adopt this kind of representation, what you are describing basically is just a classical channel in which we have a classical input, the signal which are selected here, and a classical output, which are the outcome of the measurement, which are locally produced by Bob. And the capacity that is the optimal rate of this communication channel is just obtained by the Shannon information capacity uh, of the re resulting transformation. But of course, there are more clever way of encoding information and decoding information into the system. And for instance, one way of, of improving with respect to the previous one is by using quantum measurement, joint quantum measurement. That is, you still are encoding the system, uh, but uh, using uh, separable messages. But now you are measuring jointly the output. And if you do that, you can definitely increase with respect to the previous uh, performances of your channel, attaining what is called the Olevo capacity of the channel. And finally, there is uh, a third option. There is also an intermediate, uh, intermediate one, but I will not discuss this, in which you, you, you prepare your code words, not just preparing separable state of your system, but just, you know, joint, measure, uh, joint state of, of, of your uh, uh, multiple uses and performing joint measurement at the output. And this gives you the ultimate uh, uh, capacity of the channel, um, uh, which, satura which, is, uh, which saturates the HSW bound for the, for the communication line. Okay, so I see that my, my time is basically over. So um, I, I had st still one uh, application that I wanted to discuss, but uh, uh, I will skip it unless you don't ask explicitly to discuss about it. So I thank you very much for your attention. <laughs>